Hello and welcome back to the Six Piece Podcast for a special edition today. What we've done for you is we've merged the first three podcasts of this series where we analysed uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Uh, we've compiled them all together, ad-free, music-free, for you to simply listen to the analysis. Did this film was released in 1954, so credits usually came at the start of the film. And in the background, as we're looking at the credits, we have three blinds that are being retracted. What's the meaning behind this? Well, uh, this is sort of opening the show for us, and the camera's about to move through those blinds and provide us with a perspective of the neighbourhood. So the camera moves through the window, and we get to see, as I said, the residents of this Greenwich Village community. We uh, for those of you who don't know, Greenwich Village is in New York. It's in Manhattan. At the time, it was a real cultural hub where lots of artists lived, musicians, um, sculptors. We actually see, or photographers even as well, we see them in this film through three different characters. And the camera pans around the neighbourhood as we get introduced to these characters, uh, including our protagonist, L.B. Jeffries, who is sleeping at the moment. He is sweating quite profusely. And the reason why he's sweating is because it is... 92 degrees on the thermometer, so about 34 degrees Celsius. It's a really warm summer's day in New York. After that close-up of the thermometer, it then pans to the songwriter, who is shaving in the morning. He's listening to the radio, and the ad says, Men, are you over 40? When you wake up in the morning, do you feel tired and run down? Do you have that listless feeling? In frustration, he's very quick to uh, change the radio station. Again, we get this idea that this man is extremely frustrated, and that is a pattern that continues throughout this film. The next character that the camera pans to is Miss Torso. Uh, I should say these names for the characters um, we find out through Jeffries himself later on in the film. Uh, Miss Torso is a beautiful young woman. She is um, a dancer, and she's getting ready in the morning wearing little to no clothing. And what you'll find as well is she, along with many other of the residents, have their windows open, perhaps symbolising the fact that maybe they are inviting um, Jeffries to look in. But also, literally, they're trying to escape the heat. It's a really, really warm heat wave at the moment. We're also introduced to a married couple that live towards the top of the apartment building adjacent to Jeffries' apartment. They are sleeping outside. Quite interesting, they're one of um, the few characters who are seen outside their apartment building and they're actually sleeping head to toe which probably suggests that they're not quite as intimate a couple as maybe some of the others are and relationships and marriage is a really important theme throughout this text their alarm goes off in the morning and they wake up and uh, the camera then moves to lb jeffries it pans his body much like the camera would for a woman objectifying him Get this recurring theme of Jeffries and his masculinity or lack of masculinity as he perceives it um, throughout the film. And he's wearing a cast that says, Here lie the broken bones of L.B. Jeffries. The camera pans again to his, um, or some sort of cupboard or some sort of bench where we see a broken camera and some photographs of a car crash behind it. We can deduce from this information that this is perhaps how he came to find himself with a broken leg. 
The camera then pans to some more photographs, this time they're of uh, the wall. Again, we can assume this is from World War II, and we work out later on that Jeffries was involved in that. And the last photo frame we see is that of a woman uh, in a frame. Some people have mentioned this is Grace Kelly, or her character, I should say, Lisa. Uh, I don't think it actually is, but what's interesting is the fact that the photo is, is a negative. It's a negative of a, of a smiling model. Perhaps that reflects Jeff's negative views of the fashion world. And that sort of ends our establishing sequence. We move on then to see um, LB Jeffries shaving um, in the morning. He's up and awake, and he gets a phone call from his editor, and they have a discussion. Uh, the editor is assuming that Jeffries is getting his cast off today, but Jeffries says, no, it's next Wednesday, and that uh, he still has a week to go in his cast. This scene is really important because it sort of starts and begins this idea of Jeffries and his voyeuristic habits, him looking at other people. And it starts with him looking um, at some bathing beauties up on the rooftop. There are some young women who are sunbaking up the top, what I think is interesting is, yes, Jeffries is, is looking at them, and we know that he's looking at them through the Kuleshov effect. This is a technique, film technique used, which just um, emphasizes the idea of what a character is looking at. We get a shot of the character, we get a sh- another shot of what they're looking at, and a shot, third shot back to the character to see their reaction to what those characters are doing. Again, just solidifying and cementing the idea that we know that's what they're looking at. Now, while Jeffries is definitely staring at these girls, he's not alone. There's actually a helicopter hovering above them. And I guess this suggests to us as an audience that um, voyeurism and looking at other people was accepted within society, that Jeffries isn't the only one doing it, that so too are other people within the society. Jeffries is also, I guess, uh, tempted by the sight of Miss Torso. Um, this attracts his gaze. She's getting ready in the morning. She's she's dancing. As I said before, she's not wearing a whole heap uh, and her windows are wide open. So Jeffries has a great view of what she's doing in the morning and he's quite fixated on her. And we know that he's quite fixated on her because of the way that he, again, we get a bit of a closer view of his face, but also the Kuleshov effect. The conversation that he's having with his editor, whose name is Gunnison, is really, really important though. What it does for us is it identifies Jeffrey's views on marriage and on relationships. Firstly, his views on, on marriage. And um, he says to his uh, editor at the time, he says that um, you need to pull me out of this swamp of boredom. I'm going to do something drastic, like I'm going to get married. Then I'll never be able to go anywhere. This quote is really important because um, it highlights the idea that Jeffrey's assumes that being married means He will lose his freedom as well as his independence. He won't be able to leave anywhere. We know that he has, uh, he's a photographer, that he travels the world. He's called by the editor his best photographer and that he's too valuable to the magazine. So we know that Jeffries has a really, really, really important role within that magazine that he's very well known for his photographs. The editor, though, has a different idea of marriage. He actually says it's about time you got married before you turn into a lonesome, bitter old man. And Jeffrey's response by saying, can't you just see me? And this is him expressing his idea of what he believes married life will be. Rushing home to a hot apartment to listen to the automatic laundry and the electric dishwasher and the garbage disposal and the nagging wife. Another great quote that I implore you to remember. Now, as Jeffries is saying this, he's looking across the courtyard at a married couple, the Thorwalds. Here we see 
uh, a husband looking after his wife, his invalid wife who's in bed. And we can assume from this that Jeffreys lives vicariously. Vicarious means living through others. Jeffreys' ideas on marriage are based around what he sees around them. It's clear from his position that he fears, his biggest fear is that if he does get married, he will end up like Lars Thorwald, looking after his wife and having to do anything. This is his greatest fear. And these views and values that Jeffries has, um, we know that they um, are based on that because of Hitchcock's editing and his use of the cause of effect. Now, the final little moment in this scene comes from the woman living down the very bottom. Her name, we'll refer to her as Miss Hearing Aid. Um, she's looking at Thorwald, who, Lars Thorwald, who's the man with the nagging wife, looking at him doing some gardening. She, leaning over the fence, says to him, you're giving those them far too much water, referring to the flowers, and he tells her to shut up. The first sign that we get that this is a really disjointed little community, that there's barriers, literal barriers, not just a fence, but also social barriers between many of these characters. And as Jeffries is looking at this, Stella, his insurance nurse, enters. So Stella, we would think he's sort of like the third main character after Jeffries and Lisa. She plays a really important role in the film. As stated before, she's an insurance nurse. She's there to look after Jeffries as he recovers from his broken leg. Her first sentence is really, really cool, actually. She says, the New York State sentence for a peeping Tom is six months in the workhouse. And she says that we, being American society, have become a race of peeping Toms. What people ought to do is get outside their own house and look in for a change. This is a clear commentary on American society at the time and McCarthyism and the fear of communism and the fact that neighbours were encouraged to spy on one another. She initially questions the morality and the ethics around looking at others without their permission of being a peeping Tom. Uh, this was actually illegal, um, looking at other people. In fact, it's still illegal today, looking in at people in a private space. Stella says that she's got a nose for trouble, to which Jeff replies that he'd welcome trouble. And then the two get in a conversation about his relationship with Lisa Fremont, his girlfriend. She, Stella, I mean, says that Lisa's a beautiful young girl and you're a reasonably healthy man, taking a little bit of a jab at him and, and his health. They have a conversation about marriage then, and we see their two differing views on marriage. While Stella has a really traditional view on marriage, Jeffries doesn't really. He doesn't think of it as something that he wants to do. Jeffries, in fact, says that Lisa expects me to marry her. That's normal. I don't want to. That's abnormal. Stella says that every man is ready for marriage when the right girl comes along. And Jeffries then describes Lisa. And what's really interesting about this is it's a really, really positive description. You know, she's all right, but she's, she's too perfect. She's too talented. She's too beautiful. She's too sophisticated. She's too everything but what I want. And he says if only she was ordinary. Again, Stella is really pushing for the fact that he should be marrying her. And he says, can you see her tramping around the world with a camera bum who never has more than a week's salary in the bank? And Sally goes, well, would you ever get married? And he goes, I'll probably get married. And when I do, it's going to be with someone who thinks his life not just as a new dress, a lobster dinner and the latest scandal. And what's ironic about that is what happens when Lisa uh, arrives in the next scene. He says, I'm looking for a girl who's willing to go anywhere and do anything. Again, Lisa actually 
says that she'll do that, but Jeffries doesn't want a bar of it. So does he really know what he wants? I think Jeffries really fears commitment, fears marriage, and that's based on how he sees marriages around the neighbourhood. Stella then gives her two cents worth. She says, when two people love each other, they come together, wham, like two taxis on Broadway, not sit around studying each other like two specimens. Once it was see somebody, get married, get sorry, get excited, get married. Now it's read a lot of books, fence with a lot of four-syllable words, psychoanalyze each other until you can't tell the difference between a petting party and a civil service exam. Uh, Stella, again, holds that really traditional view of marriage, the fact that it's meant to be something that is done, that this makes sense, that Jeff should marry Lisa, but he's so reluctant to do that. Following this, again, there's a nice little moment there where... Um, Stella's giving him a massage and uh, she puts some oil on him, which she thinks is, oh, it's a bit cold. Again, that idea of his masculinity being sort of tested, that he's a little bit soft. The final moment here that I really like, actually, I should say, in this scene is seeing the, this newlywed couple arrive in the apartment just to the left of Jeffrey's. He sees a man and a woman uh, entering. They're wearing really formal clothing, just really conservatively. They've obviously just been married and they're entering their new apartment. They sort of represent the expectation about getting married. He carries his bride in even to finish the scene. But just before as they start to embrace, and again, the Kuleshov effect is used here to show Jeffrey's questioning his morality, whether he's doing the right thing by looking in on this private moment. The fact that the man then closes the blind straight after this suggests that Jeffrey's is looking in on a really private moment. I should say as well, the song That's Amore is playing in the background uh, that's amore meaning that's love. I implore you to take note of the soundtrack and the songs that are being played throughout this film because they add an extra dimension to the actions that are taking place on the screen in the film. So after a fade to black, we are reintroduced to the neighbourhood. It is now twilight time, evening time. The sky is orange. There still are clouds in the sky. We saw in the opening sequence or establishing sequence the grey clouds in the background. Uh, which suggested that something ominous was about to happen, um, but now uh, it's been replaced by an orange filter. Jeffries is sleeping in the darkness, and in fact, a shadow is cast over his face, representing the danger that's about to happen. But that's quickly uh, shifts through the soft lighting and a close-up of Lisa, his girlfriend, followed by a kiss shown in slow motion. Lisa then introduces herself to Jeff turning one light on at a time, saying Lisa, Lisa, Carol, Fremont. This is representative of Lisa bringing light to their relationship. But there is a shadow, which is Jeffrey's reluctance to marry her, that's cast over them. Lighting and shade are really, really important uh, motifs that are seen throughout this film. Jeff questions whether this is the same Lisa Fremont that never wears the same dress twice to which she responds only because it's expected of her. And she says that the dress is a steal at $1,100. With this scene particularly, it sets up the conflict between the two characters. Look at the way they dress, their contrasting occupations, their views on each other. The fact that Lisa is willing to do anything for Jeffries, and that is what Jeffries wants out of a woman according to the last scene. But Jeffries is sort of too stubborn to realise this. Even look at the way they're contrasting view of this day. Jeffrey says, it's just an old run-of-the-mill Wednesday. The calendar's full of them. 
Whereas Lisa responds by saying it's the opening night of the last depressing week of LB Jeffries in a cast. Look at what she does for him, what she's willing to do for him. She buys that dress for him. She even organizes dinner at 21. And she says that I'm going to make this a week you'll never forget. She also presents him with a new cigarette box, a really glamorous one, as opposed to the old rackety one that he had before. And again, symbolic of their two contrasting styles. Their costumes are very different as well. Look at what Jeffries is wearing. He's in sort of pyjamas, whereas Lee's is in this glamorous new dress. They then talk about their futures. And Lisa suggests that someday you might want to set up your own studio here and that isn't it time you came home, saying leave the magazine for yourself and for me and that you can just see him in a dark blue flannel suit. Jeffries laughs at this. He ridicules her for this idea that he could work in the fashion world and he says let's stop talking this nonsense. We, as the audience, feel sympathetic for Lisa throughout this scene. And Hitchcock does that through the use of close-ups. Every time Jeffries ridicules Lisa and her world, whether it's having a jab at what she does during the day or her insistence that Jeffries stays in New York, the close-ups of Lisa and the heartbreak in her face is clear. Jeffries doesn't take her seriously as a woman, as a partner, and as a career. And her career, sorry, I I should say. One last thing before we move on to the final scene on this first part is that Jeffrey's not being able to open up the bottle of wine. And again, just this idea of his masculinity. masculinity. He needs another man to open the bottle for him. Okay, we're going to move to the final scene we're going to go through today, which will finish off the beginning of the film. And it begins as Lisa is preparing dinner in the kitchen with Jeffries looking down on a woman across the courtyard. We will come to know her as Miss Lonely Hearts, and she's preparing dinner for an imaginary man. The song playing in the background is a Bing Crosby song. It's called To See You Is To Love You, and it's ironic because that last final quote from the song is, I'll love you and I'll see you in the same old dream tonight. As she raises her glass to this imaginary man, so too does Jeffries raise his glass towards her in an act of sympathy. And Lisa walks in. Jeffrey says to her, Miss Lonely Hearts, well, I guess that's something you'll never have to worry about. To which Lisa quickly retorts by saying, oh, you can see my apartment from here. The contrast between Miss Lonely Hearts and Miss Torso is really interesting. We get, as I said, that really isolated, lonely Miss Lonely Hearts compared to Miss Torso, who's entertaining three men. In fact, Jeffrey says Miss Torso, the ballet dancer, she's like the queen bee with her pick of the drones. Jeffrey's views Lisa more as being a Miss Torso type, whereas Lisa, I think, sees herself more as Miss Lonely Hearts, lacking that real emotional connection with her with her partner, with her boyfriend in Jeffries. They do look at um, Miss Torso though, and as I said, Lisa says that she's doing a woman's hardest job, juggling wolves. It's interesting to note as well that she's talking to one of them outside, to which Jeffries responds, she picked the most prosperous looking one. But Lisa says she's not in love with any of them. And Jeffries goes, why? 
And she says, you said it resembled my apartment, didn't you? She again is quick to attack him, just subtly, so that he understands what's going on. We also see Jeffrey's turning to look at the newlyweds, whose blind is still shut, suggesting that they're enjoying those first few days of marital bliss. And then he turns to look at the Thorwalds. What is interesting about the Thorwalds apartment is that the um, color of the living room is different to the color in the bedroom. Why I note that is because Lars Thorwald, the husband, is often seen in the living room and Anna is often seen in the bedroom. This idea about separation and the fact that they're always segmented, they're apart from each other. Now, Lars Thorwald brings dinner to his wife after working all day, just as Lisa does. She works all day. She comes home to bring dinner home for Jeff. He brings in the tray with the flour, which she throws away, and um, she doesn't really seem too impressed with what he's cooked for her. He then returns back to the living room and makes a phone call. Now, she's a little bit suspicious about this. So Anna Thorwald gets out of bed and um, walks over to see what's going on. And after catching him on the phone, an argument ensues between the two of them. In fact, she looks to be laughing at him, laughing in his face about something that's happening or someone who he's talking to. We're not too sure what it is. We can't actually really hear it. And again, this film is set entirely from Jeffrey's perspective. So again, we're living through Jeffrey's perspective and through what he sees. The scene closes with Jeffrey's and Lisa. So Lisa comes in with the lobster dinner as the songwriter is playing his song. She said, um, well, Jeffrey's makes a crack and says he lives alone. He probably had a very unhappy marriage. Uh, Lisa says it's almost as if it was written for us. Again, Jeffries has a wisecrack at her saying it's probably why he's having so much trouble with it. But upon providing him with his lobster dinner, he said, Lisa, it's perfect as always. With the fade to black, we now have Lisa laying down on the bed and they have a discussion or an argument about their future. Please note here that with the lighting, Jeff is shot from behind and in the shadow, whereas Lisa is a bit more well lit. There's also a bit of a shadow over Lisa's face at times, representing the shadow over their relationship. The camera angles are interesting too. Initially, Lisa and Jeff on the same level. But by the end of this scene, Lisa is looking down on Jeff, and the balance of power has shifted. In this scene, Lisa provides Jeff with an ultimatum after Jeffrey suggests that she wouldn't survive in this world. In fact, he says... You just have to face it, Lisa. You're not meant for this kind of world, for that kind of world, referring to his job. Now, Jeff underestimates Lisa here. In fact, men underestimating women is a continuous theme throughout this film. Lisa says, so that's it. You won't stay here, and I can't go with you, which is actually what Jeffrey's wanted. He said that to Stella. I want a woman that'll go anywhere. She says, you don't think either, of, either one of us could ever change? She says, I'm in love with you. I don't care what you do for a living. I'd just like to be part of it somehow. Again, expressing that emotional void that she has in this relationship. Jeffrey says, you've got this whole town in the palm of your hand. Not quite, it seems, does she retort. Jeffrey wants to keep things status quo, to which Lisa says, without any future, and she wishes him goodbye. 
As she's delivering her ultimatum, saying that she loves him, which is really significant, I think, in the background we see two photos. The first is of Jeffrey's in front of the plane, which is Jeffrey's life of action, and the second one is a framed negative, which shows his ambivalence towards women. Note how Lisa's face sort of is within one of those frames as well to suggest that she's trying to place herself in Jeffrey's life. One more thing to add about this scene is the fact that Jeffrey's views on Lisa's career is representative of those of men in the 1950s when looking at women in the workforce. Now, during World War II, women got, in fact, played a really integral role uh, in the war efforts in terms of working in the factories. And after the war finished, many of them wanted to continue working. Prior to this, women's main role was uh, in a domestic sense. But World War II gave them a real feel for work and being able to provide for themselves. And Lisa is symbolic of these efforts. After Lisa leaves, Jeffries looks out the window to see uh, the lights off in most of the apartments and then hears a woman scream. Now, the ensuing scenes revolve around Jeff's observations of the apartments around him as heavy rain falls throughout. It is, of course, night time as well, just to add to that ominous feeling or vibe or atmosphere around. Now, Jeffrey's main focus is on Lars Thorwald, who leaves his apartment to go out at night a number of times, emphasised by fade-in and fade-outs, as well as close-ups of Jeffrey's watch to denote time passing. Now, Lars Thorwald is, of course, the man who is married to the invalid, the woman or the nagging wife, as we saw earlier on in the film. We will come to know him as Lars Thorwald and his wife as Anna. And Jeff is quite suspicious of his actions. Now, interspersed with these observations of Lars Thorwald um, are, I guess, shots of the married couple with the dog who are sleeping on the balcony, and they rush inside to avoid the rain. It's sort of like a a comic moment in the film. Uh, He also witnesses the songwriter, who's clearly inebriated and once again frustrated as he blatantly wipes or swipes his music sheets off the piano upon returning home. The other individual Jeffries observes is Miss Torso, who fends off her date from entering her apartment. Now, this shows her strength and defies Jeffrey's earlier assumptions about her, the fact that she is out for men. The final shot of this sequence, however, is really important. It shows Lars Thorwald leaving his apartment with a woman while Jeffrey's is sleeping. Now, similar to the opening sequence, the audience witnesses something that Jeffrey's does not, adding tension to his subsequent investigation into the Thorwalds, and encouraging the audience to question Jeffrey's opinions about the events that occurred on this night, especially after Doyle provides, and that's Detective Doyle, provides evidence which counters Jeffrey's, which occurs later on in the film, and we fade to black. Subsequently, is now morning in the Greenwich Village neighbourhood. We see Miss Hearing Aid is sculpting a piece called Hunger Outside. For me, I feel like this symbolises the emotional void within the neighbourhood, and more specifically, the void in Jeffrey's and Lisa's relationship, which is especially felt by Lisa, as we saw previously. Now, Stella is tending to Jeffrey's once again, and remarks that the rain did nothing to halt the heat wave. She also comments that Jeffrey's must have been watching out that window for hours. He comments that Miss Lonely Hearts cried herself to sleep alone, before remarking that the salesman might be available. It is really interesting to note that Jeffrey's nicknames for the Jeffrey's nicknames for the characters are contrasting. 
For the men, he uses their occupation to describe them, the salesman, the songwriter. But for the female characters, it is more about their personal lives or physical appearance, Miss Torso and Miss Lonely Hearts. Again, tapping into the, in, in, into the idea of, of the male-dominant world and the male gaze as well. Now, Jeffries is convinced that the salesman has murdered his wife and dismembered her body, and after being told by Stella that, that the blinds are now up in the Thorwald apartment. Excited, Jeffries starts observing once again, but is quick to get out of sight, moving himself into the shadows, highlighting his aversion to being looked at, and commenting on the ethics of his actions. Jeff takes his voyeurism to the next level, utilising binoculars and a long-focused lens in observing his neighbours. This is significant for a number of reasons. Firstly, by using his work tools, his voyeurism has turned into an occupation for him, and there is a clear lack of emotion between him and his subjects. Secondly, it allows Jeffries to hide behind something and provide a barrier between him and his neighbours. By extension, this allows Jeffries to justify his actions. Now, there is a close-up where Jeff's eyes are covered by his binoculars and a reflection of the apartment block pretty much takes on or takes place of his eyes. This signifies how consumed he now is with his voyeurism. However, there is a moment where Jeff questions his morality or questions the morality of his actions, and this is highlighted through the use of the Kuleshov effect and close-up of his face with his eyes darting left and right. Now, Hitchcock also uses vignetting in this scene, where the edges of the shot are blacked out. The audience is thus provided with Jeffrey's perspective, making them complicit in his voyeuristic actions. And vignetting is a film technique that is used throughout this film. Again, it places the audience in Jeffrey's perspective, or provides them with Jeffrey's perspective, I should say. Now, that evening, the songwriter is cleaning up his apartment. And we get a brief glimpse at a nuclear family on an upper floor where a father is helping a daughter get ready for bed. Now, this is the only representation we as the audience get of a traditional family unit in 1950s America. And the fact that we rarely see this, I guess, emphasizes for us the the lack of action or excitement and gratification this provides Jeffries with. He's more interested in the single couples or um, those who are in a relationship without children. Inside the apartment, Lisa has returned, and her and Jeff are sharing an intimate moment, yet Jeff cannot take his mind off the events of the previous evening and his belief that the salesman has killed the wife. Now, while looking at Miss Torso, and this is done through editing, of course, from Hitchcock, Jeffrey says that would be a terrible job to tackle. Just how would you start to cut up a human body? And Lisa questions Jeffrey, stating, you're beginning to scare me a little. If only you could see yourself. Sitting around looking out of the window to kill time is one thing, but doing it the way you are with binoculars and wild opinions about every little thing you see is diseased. She calls him out on his actions. She calls him diseased, unethical, immoral. The discussion then turns to marriage. Jeffrey says, I've seen it through that window. I've seen bickering and family quarrels and mysterious trips at night and knives and saws and ropes. Interesting to note that Jeffries admits to being a voyeur here and looking in on other people's private lives, but Lisa retorts by saying, Lots of men don't speak to their wives all day. Lots of wives nag and men hate them and trouble starts, but few of them end up in murder, if that's what you're thinking. Lisa is able to refute Jeffries' assumptions. However, it is at this moment that Lisa stands up 
and the camera zooms in on her face, transfixed with something in the distance. Once again, Hitchcock utilizes the cooler shop effect to show the audience that she is looking at the salesman tying a rope around a large case. Upon zooming in, Lisa says, Let's start from the beginning again, Jeff. Tell me everything you know and what you think it means. A couple of things about this particular shot. Firstly, it's a mid-shot of Jeffries and Lisa looking together out the window, with Hitchcock bringing them together. Obviously, there's been a lot of tension and, 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 and um, conflict between them, and here we see them coming together for a bit of what I would call a rapprochement. And it's followed by a zoom and a close-up of Lisa's face to show her concern. The other thing I should say is, later on there is framing, um, just because Lisa goes to um, Thorwald's apartment to find out his name, and just as she's doing that and she tells Jeff on the phone, Jeffries looks into the apartment and we see uh, Thorwald's apartment, which is completely in darkness apart from um, his cigarette, or the light from his cigarette, which we can see, which sort of reflects, I guess, his evil actions. Welcome back to the 6Ps podcast and welcome back to Greenwich Village. It is the following morning and Stella has cooked Jeffrey's breakfast. By the looks of it, pro, uh, protein-based. We've got some uh, bacon and eggs here. Very good. He comments, I can't tell you what a welcome sight this is, which I think is a real slap in the, in, in the face of Lisa, who provided him with a lobster dinner just a couple of nights earlier. However, he's put off... His food by Stella's insights into where do you think he cut her up and her belief that he probably did it in the bathtub. Um, the way she talks about the murder and the language she uses is quite gruesome and it's not normally associated with a woman. Now, Jeffrey's voice at gaze is not just consumed with Thorwald. He watches Miss Torso hand out her, hang out her underwear to dry and it cut, cuts to a close-up of him smiling. So the idea that he's... Um, being voyeuristic for pleasure, for gratification. Then to a shot of the newlywed husband opening up his blinds for the first time since the beginning of the film. He has his head out the window and we hear his wife call out his name, which is Harry. This represents his desire to escape already. Now the final scene we're going to look at today involves Detective Doyle, who Jeff spent time with during the war. He has invited him over to the apartment and hopes he will look into the case. Doyle is initially dismissive of the case, saying this is a thousand to one shot, but says he will poke around. After doing so, he returns and provides Jeff with evidence refuting his claims that Thorwald killed his wife. Based on witness testimony, Lars Thorwald and his wife left in the morning, just as Jeffries was asleep, and she hopped on a train to Merrittsville. She even sent him a postcard. Hitchcock uses high-angled shots continuously throughout this scene, providing Doyle with authority on the matter as he looks down, literally, on Jeff and his theories. However, Doyle is briefly transfixed with Miss Torso, who is dancing in her apartment. Jeffries asks, how's your wife? Suggesting that no one is immune to voyeurism. Unconvinced, Jeffries pushes Doyle to look deeper even going as far as telling him to break into the Thorwald's apartment when he's not around. Ironically, Lisa will do just this towards the end of the film. Dora responds saying, If I was caught in there, that would have my badge in 10 minutes, showcasing his ethics and morality. Jeffries refers to the law as house rules 
and once again pushes Doyle to look into it. But Doyle is quick to dismiss him once again. He even asks, how did we ever stand each other in the plane for three years during the war? The conflict and argument that happens throughout this scene is lighthearted at times as well to show the close-knit relationship that, that they share. Okay, so we are returning to Jeffrey's apartment where he continues to watch his neighbours, but this time it is Miss Lonely Hearts that he is observing, and he does this using his long focus lens. This is the first time he has used this piece of equipment to spy on a neighbour other than Thorwald. Now she's preparing to head out, she's doing her hair, and she's doing her makeup. In the meantime, the songwriter is hosting a party while Miss Torso is practicing a dance routine with a partner and coach. Jeffries observes Miss Lonely Hearts heading to the bar across the street, and he can he can do this by looking through the alleyway, which is the only sight he gets of the outside world from his apartment. Of course, he's stuck in this plaster cocoon. But just as she orders a drink, his focus switches to Lars Thorwald, who appears in the frame. And it's at this moment that Jeffries looks further into the shadows of the apartment, once again questioning whether his actions are moral. He observes Lars laying clothes on the bed and going through his wife's handbag and jewellery. As he's doing this, Lisa arrives and is greeted by Jeff, who asks her, what did you do with your hair? But as soon as she begins to answer, he cuts her off, again trying to dominate her. Her interest in the case excites him, though, and she tells him to come here and sits her on his lap. She was unable to really think clearly at work today, such was she consumed by the case. Now, Jeffries mentions the fact that he has been going through her handbag. That's Lars Thorwood has been going through his wife's handbag and jewellery, which piques Lisa's interest. It doesn't make sense, she says. Women aren't that unpredictable. A woman has a favourite handbag that always hangs on her bedpost, where she can get to it easily, and all of a sudden she goes on a trip and leaves it behind. Women don't keep their jewellery in a purse getting all twisted and scratched and tangled up. They don't leave it behind. Lisa here uses her female intuition to deduce that something is not quite right. This doesn't add up. A woman would never ever do this. And therefore, again, just deepening or strengthening her belief that Lars Thorwald is hiding something or that he is guilty. Now, switching tact from Anna Thorwald's purse comes attention on Lisa's overnight case. She's brought a suitcase with her to stay the night, saying to Jeff, you'd said I'd have to live out of one suitcase. Here, she's being assertive. She does bring an overnight case. Now think about the context and what this means for the time. An unmarried couple sleeping together. That goes against social conventions of the time and would have been looked down upon by most people. Now, please note with Jeff, Lisa and Jeffrey's relationship, it's been strengthened. And note how Lisa is starting to gain control through her assertiveness. I'm going to stay with you, she says. He says, you're going to have to clear that with my landlord. Again, hinting to the context of the time. She says, I'll trade you my female intuition for a bed for the night. And says, quoting or referring to films at the time, when they, the hero, are in trouble, it's always their girl Friday that helps them out of it. She's been reading up on her private eye literature. So she sees herself as being like a saviour for the man. But Jeffries is quick to retort by saying, but he never ends up marrying her. A close-up of Lisa is then shown 
um, and it shows her being quite disheartened by that. <clears throat> Notice here in this scene as well, there's a mid-shot of Lisa laying down in front of Jeffries, who's looking on at her quite tenderly. She's finally gained his approval. That's through her interest in the case. Once again, we get a shot of the newlyweds, the husband opening the blind again to get air and to have a break, and this just reinforces Jeffrey's view on marriage, that it's quite suffocating. The husband is literally leaning out the window to escape to get some air. Now, Doyle arrives and doesn't say much as he enters. This scene is great to look at in terms of the morality around voyeurism, as well as having a look at gender roles of the time. <clears throat> there is a close-up of Lisa's overnight bag, and that is obviously from the perspective of Doyle, and it goes against the conservative values at the time, and he makes comment on this. Now, Lisa walks in and says, we think Thorwald is guilty, showing their connection and bond that is driven by their belief that Thorwald is guilty in the case. Now, Hitchcock then uses a zoom-in close-up and a low angle of Doyle looking out the window to show his authority, but it also mimics the scene previously where Lisa looks out the window when she finally believes that Lars Thorwald is guilty. However, this is the opposite. As Doyle says, Lars Thorwald is no more a murderer than I am. He then comments on the lack of morality or the immoral actions of voyeurism, saying, that's a secret private world you're looking into out there. People do a lot of things in private you couldn't possibly explain in public. He then goes on to say that your logic is backwards. Lisa then um, provides him with her uh, opinion and her perspective on the issue, to which he retorts saying that female intuition stuff sells magazines, but in real life, it's still a fairy tale. I don't know how many years I've been tracking down leads based on female intuition. Once again, underestimating a woman. This continually happens throughout the film. The male characters underestimating women. Following this, he has a go at Jeff and asks him, do you tell your landlord everything as he's looking at Lisa's overnight case with her night clothes and her slippers? To which he says, careful, Tom. Now, as Doyle closes his evidence on the case, Lisa walks over to stand with Jeff once again, reinforcing their connection and the fact that they both share the same theory. They are united by this. Doyle leaves and the following scene um, shows the songwriter alone looking out of his apartment as his guests sing Mona Lisa. Now, the framing on the window accentuates his loneliness and isolation from the party guests. And the following shots are nice, nice sorry, juxtapositions. Miss Torso is shown alone in her apartment, while Miss Lonely Hearts has brought home a date. He's kind of young, isn't he? As he begins to kiss her, she stops and pulls down the blinds. Yet these are Venetian blinds, so Jeffries and Lisa can still look in, and what they see is the man forcing himself on her. She pushes him out of the apartment and begins crying. Her strength is similar to that shown by Miss Torso earlier on in the film. This pushes Jeffries and Lisa to finally genuinely consider the ethics of their actions in spying on others. And there's some great quotes in this dialogue. Jeffries asks, I wonder if it's ethical to watch a man with binoculars and a long focus lens. Do you suppose it's ethical even if you prove that he did not commit a crime? Jeffries asks this of Lisa. He's wanting her to validate his actions. But this is a crux of the film. <clears throat> if Thorwald is guilty, does it still make the voyeurism ethical? Does it still make it moral? Lisa remarks that she's not much on rear window eth ethics, 
To which Jeffrey says, of course, they have the same chance. They can look at me like a bug under glass if, if they want to. But isn't Jeff the one continually hiding in the shadows? Lisa then says, you and me with long faces. Plunge into despair because we find out that a man didn't kill his wife. We're two of the most frightening ghouls I've ever known. You'd think we could be a little happy that the poor woman is alive and well. Whatever happened to the saying, love thy neighbour? Lisa then closes the blind, saying, show's over for tonight, and takes her suitcase and says a preview of coming attractions. She asks, does Mr Doyle think I stole the case? Such was his preoccupation with it, yet it is the connotations that come with it that were his real concern. Now, as Lisa appears in her outfit, a scream is heard. She opens the blinds to find the woman who owns the dog yelling out. Another really important quote, and it links in with this idea of social isolation and community, or lack thereof. Which one of you did it? Which one of you killed my dog? You don't know the meaning of the word neighbour. Neighbours like each other, speak to each other, care if somebody lives or dies, but none of you do. There is a low camera angle of the woman screaming out, and it allows her to look down or talk down to her neighbours. The camera perspective shifts here briefly as well because we as the audience are now looking in at Jeffries and Lisa. And as stated previously, this scene really highlights the social isolation and lack of community within the, in the neighbourhood, but we do see glimpses of characters that do show the fact that they care and show compassion, such as Miss Lonely Hearts, who places the dog carefully in the basket, as well as Miss Torso, who is shot um, for the only time in the film with a close-up and a bit of a low-angle shot too. Uh, this obviously is filmed from outside Jeffries' apartment, and once again, one of the few times... That is done. In contrast to those two characters, the party guests don't really care um, about what's happening. They go straight back inside. And uh, as we find out with Jeff, his prime concern during this whole thing was Thorwald. And he mentions that in the whole courtyard, he was the only one that didn't come out. And they learn, or they come to the um, realisation that the dog must have known too much. The subsequent scene sees Stella, Lisa and Jeffries all together and there's a really nice mid-shot of the three of them together showing their camaraderie and Jeff is interested in the flower bed and gets Lisa to hand him an instrument which allows him to look at his photos. He notices that in the space of the garden where the dog was curiously sniffing around, new flowers have been planted and he reasons that Thorwald must have used it to bury part of Anna Thorwald. The framing here is really interesting. We have Lisa and Stella watching over Jeff's shoulder as he uses the lens, and the dark lighting just reflects the increasing danger involved in their voyeurism. Jeff then writes a note that Lisa, who is becoming more assertive and taking control of the situation, slides under Thorwald's door and is able to evade him quite smoothly. You did it, Thorwald, Jeff says. He's now narrating Thorwald's movements and will continue to do so much like a director in a film. This is Jeffrey's own show. Lisa then uses the portable keyhole and using her knowledge as a nurse, notices that Miss Lonely Hearts is laying out pills and expresses concern for her welfare. That's not Lisa, I should say, that is Stella. Stella looks at Miss Lonely Hearts and sees her laying out pills. But noticing that Thorwald is playing with the ring, Lisa, who has returned, states the last thing that she would leave behind is a wedding ring. Stella concurs, saying the only way somebody would get that, being a wedding ring, off her would be to chop off my finger. 
Once again, it is female intuition that comes to the fore to place guilt on Lars Thorwald. And Stella and Lisa plan on digging up the garden bed to try and find some evidence. But Jeff is hesitant, due to the precarious and dangerous nature of the job. Lisa is actually quite condescending in asking, Jeff, if you're squeamish, just don't look, jabbing at his pride once again and emasculating him. The following exchange that ensues between the three of them suggests that Jeff is starting to understand the importance of Stella and Lisa and his reliance on them, and this is especially true for Lisa. He says, we scared him once, maybe we can scare him again. I guess I'm using the word we a little freely. You're taking all the chances. To which Lisa knocks him saying, shall we vote him in, Stella? And she says unanimously. Remember that Jeff didn't want to let Lisa into his life of travel and international intrigue. Jeff then calls Thorward once again, narrating, go on, pick it up. Go on, you're curious. You wonder if it's your girlfriend, the one you killed for. Go and pick it up. And Jeff is able to get Thorwald out of the apartment to meet him at a bar. As a result, Lisa and Stella are able to go down to the courtyard. They climb a ladder and go over a fence and begin digging, but find nothing. As this is happening, Jeff calls Doyle, only to find he's not at home. Lisa waves at Jeffries in the courtyard and he waves back. His admiration for her is increasing. Jeff notices that Miss Lonely Hearts is writing at her desk and, unknowingly, says Stella was wrong about Miss Lonely Hearts, once again showing his inability to comprehend women. Having found nothing in the garden bed, Lisa now instinctly run, climbs up, I should say, a fire escape ladder and impressively manages to enter Thorwood's apartment. Lisa, wearing a floral dress and heels, shows Jeff that she can be adventurous while maintaining her style. Through close-ups, we see Jeff's shock reactions to this, and the fact that he has no control whatsoever in this situation. Once again, he's emasculated. However, Lisa doesn't find the wedding ring inside the handbag, and Stella returns, but notices that Miss Lonely Hearts is planning to commit suicide. Upset, she urges Jeffries to call the police, which he does. However, Miss Lonely Hearts is stopped by the music coming out of the songwriter's apartment. So too, though, is Lisa. A long shot shows Miss Lonely Hearts and Lisa concurrently looking out the window, moved by the music, once again linking the two of them together. The use of framing here is very important from Hitchcock. While this is happening, however, Thorwald has returned and Lisa is stuck in his apartment. Jeffries asks the police to get to Thorwald's apartment to save Lisa. An argument begins between Thorwald and Lisa, though, who has been caught in his apartment and close-ups of Jeff cut in and out to show the pain and anguish on his face. He is unable to save Lisa. He is stuck, immobile, and powerless. Thorwald turns off the light, limiting Jeffrey's ability to see, as Lisa calls out his name, asking him for help. Once again, this is torturing him. Luckily, the police somehow managed to arrive just 58 seconds after Jeffrey's phone call. And as they begin questioning Lisa, a close-up through Jeffrey's camera shows Lisa pointing to her hand where she has placed the wedding ring on her finger. Not only does this provide Jeffrey's with concrete evidence, but it is Lisa subtly hinting to Jeff that this is what she wants, commitment and marriage. However, Thorwald has noticed this, and as Jeff's view shifts to him, he looks directly into the camera. This is known as breaking the thought fourth wall, 
and Thorwald looks at the voyeurs, which is both Geoffrey and the audience, implicating them in the voyeurism. Jeff's sudden impulse is to move away from the window and turn off the lights, underlining the guilt he feels in the immoral actions he has committed. Lisa is arrested and taken away, and once again, Jeff can't do anything about it. He asks Stella to bail him out, and as he doesn't have enough money, provides her with photography equipment. As this is happening, Thorwald leaves the apartment looking back as he does this, but Jeffries does not see this, increasing the tension further. So Stella has left to go and, or attempt to bail Lisa out of jail, and after she leaves, Jeffries receives a phone call from Doyle and explains to him the events which have just unfolded. Really like the quote here from Jeff again showing his admiration for Lisa, saying to Doyle, boy, you should have seen her. Doyle says he will go down to the precinct to check, check in on Lisa and hangs up. Jeffrey's looking across the courtyard notices Thorwald's empty apartment and soon answers the phone assuming that it is Doyle, saying, Tom, I think Thorwald's left. But there's no response but silence. A zoom in on Jeff's face shows his concern and he quickly turns around upon hearing a noise from outside his apartment. Jeffrey's is now isolated and powerless. The light in the corridor from outside his apartment is switched off, and we hear ominous footsteps approaching. Jeffries places himself in the darkness near the window, and Thorwald enters the apartment. He asks Jeff, What do you want from me? Jeff doesn't respond. Your friend, the girl, could have turned me in. Why didn't she? What is it you want? A lot of money. I don't have any money. Say something. Say something. Tell me what you want. Can you get that ring back? Now, Jeffrey's inability to respond perhaps suggests that he is unable to justify his actions. Thorwald is scrutinising him and now has all the power over the immobile and helpless protagonist. Now, as Thorwald approaches Jeffries, he's able to hinder him briefly by using his photographic equipment, namely flashbulbs, but ultimately Thorwald is able to push him out the window and into the very space that he has been looking into all this time. In fact, the scuffle that ensues forces all the neighbours to race out, and the roles are now reversed, with everyone in the neighbourhood looking at Jeff. Hitchcock speeds up the shots and builds the danger of the situation, but the police are able to capture Thorwald just as Jeff drops to the ground. He is met by Stella, Doyle and Lisa. Stella immediately swings into nurse mode, asking for her medical kit, while Jeffries comes to the realisation that he needs Lisa in his life. This is their exchange. Lisa, sweetie, if anything had happened to you, I'm alright. Gee, I'm proud of you. Jeffries' head is now in Lisa's lap. Amazingly, Thorwald managed to confess to the crimes, explain what was in the garden bed, and where his wife was, all within just 23 seconds, which I think is very impressive. Now, the final sequence in the film shows a neighbourhood, and the heatwave is now over, and that's symbolised by or represented by the thermometer or a close-up of the thermometer. This closing scene reflects the opening scene quite closely. Now, the songwriter and Miss Lonely Hearts are both together in his apartment listening to the first release of his song, the very song that saved her. In fact, she says that. You don't know what this song means to me. The Thorwald's apartment is being repainted. The couple now have a new dog, suggesting that they trust the community once again. And to our surprise, Miss Torso's partner returns from the army. Miss Hearing Aid is sound asleep outside and the newlyweds are fighting after the husband has quit his job. 
much to his wife's chagrin. Inside the apartment, Jeffries is fast asleep with his back to the window, but with two broken legs. He is no longer interested in what is happening outside. Lisa is reading beyond the high Himalayas, suggesting that she is able to be part of Jeff's world, and she is wearing a far more relaxed outfit. She is wearing casual shoes, jeans, and a casual shirt. She takes a glimpse at Jeff and, finding he is asleep, pulls out a Harper's Bazaar magazine and smiles, showing her ability to balance both aspects of her life, and she has proven herself to Jeff. The final shot is of the blinds being closed, and the film ends there, and so too does the audience's voyeuristic adventure. Following on from this, we're going to look at the characters. We're going to look at some key themes as well. And uh, we're going to do a Q&A next week too. So if you do have any questions uh, about the film, please send them through to 6pspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, just a little announcement to make. We have just uh, uploaded some videos to a YouTube channel. So if you search for 6Ps Podcast on YouTube, you'll be able to find some clips. And we hope to add to that throughout the year to provide you with something a little bit extra to have a look at. But... Until next time, this has been the Six Piece Podcast, reminding you that proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Are we finished? Done. <laughs> <laughs>